Thank you, Anne. The uh, readings that we have this year follow the Gospel of Matthew. Um, each year there's a different cycle between Matthew, Mark and Luke, they rotate. And uh, this week we're looking at Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. The, the Gospels, both Matthew and Luke, have different accounts and they're actually quite distinctive in their own right. Over Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we'll focus more on Luke's account with the, the shepherds and the angelic hosts and uh, those circumstances. But Matthew, that we've just heard, brings a focus a bit more through the eyes and through the experience of Joseph, who is put into a, a very awkward position, a, a position of some tension. What we see in Matthew's account are two very contrasting dimensions to the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. At one level, at a grassroots level, it is indicative of typical human experience. And it is what it means for the realities of life that take a direction that wasn't anticipated and which is a cause of potential shame within a, a community who know exactly what is going on. At another level, the complete opposite is a, a cosmic event of heaven breaking into earth and into human life and human experience in a way which is just uh, beyond our full comprehension of the spirit conceiving and giving birth to the Son of God giving, taking human form. And we have both of those brought side by side in the account that we have. Let's start firstly, though, with the passage from Isaiah 7. Last week, as uh, I was visited by one of my brothers, Stephen, and his wife, Leonie, who we've known many, many years, um, there was a TV series that Fiona and I had particularly enjoyed and thought Leonie might enjoy seeing it as well. So we saw it a second time. It's one of those six-part series um, that sort of unfolds and you get to know more about the backstory, the wider context as the various episodes go. And it was intriguing seeing it, having known how it all ends up and knowing more of the backstory, that in the early episodes we can see things that we missed first time round that were hints or markers as to something deeper that was going on. And with the benefit now of hindsight of knowing how it all developed and how the storyline came together, we could identify those um, earlier signposts and recognise where some of those um, trajectories were beginning to take shape. That is a bit like reading the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. We know about the coming of Christ and about the amazing um, life and ministry and teaching and presence that Jesus brought and his work that culminated upon the cross and the resurrection. So we can now see, as we reread some of the Old Testament prophecies, things which only become clearer in hindsight. Whereas at the first time, at the first hearing, it would have been off the horizon, beyond the imagination of those who first heard a prophecy like that in Isaiah 7. The context, as Anne explained to us, of King Ahaz is at a stage where the invitation was there for him to rediscover his faith and re-engage by communicating with the God of Israel and turning aside from the other gods that he has been giving all too much attention to. 
where the invitation is there to ask God for a sign, it isn't so much the sense of God prove yourself to me. Elsewhere, that sort of approach, that attitude is denounced. It's more an invitation to pray to God and to see how God would, just waiting for the prayer so he may answer and to provide a sign. But Ahaz chooses to say, no, I don't want to pray. I don't want to ask for a sign. I don't need that. I don't want that. So actually in failing to do so wasn't a sign of piety on his part. It was more not wanting to communicate with God. And God responds to say, well, you're going to have a sign anyway and the sign is going to be a sign of judgment upon the people of Israel because I was wanting to work through you to bring about salvation for the people of Israel, the house of David. And your failure to do so will compromise that. Nevertheless, God says, I will send a sign. A child will be born to a virgin, a young woman. And this terminology doesn't necessarily mean a, a virgin in the sense that we would use that term in our own culture and language. But it means a young woman. And this child will carry the fortunes of Israel on his shoulders. And as the prophecies of Isaiah continue into chapters 8 and 9, and we've already been seeing a few of them, um, we can see more about how that Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of this promise of a child who will be born, who would be doing a unique work of God. And this child will have a name. It's more of a job description. It's more of a title. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, at the grassroots level, as we look at the passage in Matthew 1, we can see the sudden predicament that Joseph found himself in. He was betrothed. He was engaged to be married to Mary. And in the culture of of, uh, the day, a betrothal is a solemn commitment. You didn't just step out of it at whim. It was a, a major thing. So to step out of that commitment where it is, yes, we're going to get married, the process now is just the date and the time and the occasion, then Mary discovers that she's pregnant. Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant. The assumption would be that probably Mary's fiancé made him pregnant, made her pregnant. In other words, it's a pretty shameful, embarrassing situation to be but so much more so in the culture of Joseph and Mary. Much more so than in Western culture where we, these things happen and it's no big deal. Whereas in, as it is still in some Eastern cultures, this was a major thing. It's an honour and shame culture. And this would be regarded as a shameful predicament to be. Joseph is a righteous man. That is to say, he is law-abiding. He wants to keep the religious law, which instructs him that he needs to divorce this unfaithful fiancé who has got herself pregnant. In some cultures, not so much, though it was practiced in the culture at the time, that a fiancé who got herself pregnant in these circumstances could even be executed, could be stoned. Sadly, it still happens in some cultures today. So this is a big deal. 
that Joseph finds himself in. What's he wants going to do? Because he knows the law requires him to disown her, to divorce her. But he wants to do so in a sensitive, in a kind way that doesn't bring that shame upon her. And he proposes just to do it quietly, as discreetly as possible. Yet, as he fell into a sleep, God spoke to Joseph through a dream, through an angel who speaks to him in a dream. Now, these aren't events that happen all the time. They don't happen all the time in the Old Testament. They don't happen all the time in the New Testament. It's only a rare thing, but it actually happens five times in these two chapters in Matthew. Something extraordinary is happening here, and it requires that extraordinary level of insight of God breaking in and giving an assurance to all involved. Do not be afraid. I'm at work in these events. And so Joseph hears the message that is explained that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that he would have known back in Isaiah. Remember the, the prophet Isaiah, the angel says, he says a child will be born, a son will be born to a virgin and upon him will the God's kingship and all the future of the house of David will be laid upon him. This is what is happening to Mary. And so Joseph is convinced, he is assured and he continues with his plans for to be wedded, to be married to Mary, and they were set up home together. Now, there's various elements around the story that we could investigate, but I want to focus in particular on the two names that are given to this child. The first name is Jesus, Yeshua. We know it more popularly as Joshua, and it means saves is a saviour. Jesus will be a saviour. And that gives us a clue as to why the Son of God, this heavenly being, needed to take human form. And then the second name, as I said before, more of a title, is God with us. And I want to focus on that a little bit in a few moments. But why is it that this extraordinary event required God to take human form. We've yet to come to an understanding at this stage of the narrative as to how the God that we know is the one true and living God can be revealed through the persons of the Father who sends, who loves the world so much, the Son, the one who is sent and has a work, a mission to do that the Son uniquely is able to do. And the Holy Spirit, the agent, the active uh, working of God. We see some beginnings of this to emerge in this narrative, but it's still not something we can sort of put together, except in hindsight. So why is it that God would enter into human world and be born in human form? Couldn't God just do it by a brush of his hand, by a decree, or some other agency? The answer is to be found that in Jesus there needs to be a representative who is one of us, who is flesh and blood, part of this human species. 
who not only can represent us and experience the fullness of life as a human and all that that life brings with its anxieties and uncertainties and its highs and its lows and its brutalities and its celebrations and all that life involves. God needs to experience that in the form of Jesus if the mission that Jesus has been entrusted with can be fulfilled. It needed to be one of us who died upon the cross, representing us, in fact, embodying us, literally embodying us. So the work of Jesus upon the cross is us just as much as it is God. Now, if you're at all like me, and pretty much everyone else, your head will be spinning to try and work those sort of things out. There's a certain logic behind it that this mission that Jesus was entrusted with required that he needed to be truly human, not just a, a, a pretense, but also fully God at work. But I want to move beyond just a, a trying to get our heads around it to a more experiential understanding of just why this is such a profound moment. The words Emmanuel, God with us, are not complicated. They're one-syllable words. But the truth is, in, is, is something that we can never fully comprehend, just what that means. God entering into this world, not from a distance, not far off. A number of years ago there was a song, wasn't there? From a distance. So God is holding himself back, just observing. And we hope that we can reach out to God in some way. We cannot reach out to God without God first breaking into our world. That our earthly experience is cracked open and that whole presence that comes with heaven breaks into our world, which is what happens through the birth of this child. But at an experiential level, we know something about that sense of distance, that sense of separation, We've been through it in the last couple of years. We've learned those realities of social distancing. You know that awkwardness when normally we'd go up and we'd shake hands or we'd have a hug and we would have that whole sense of being able to bring that, that physicality to presence that is so special to friendship and to family and to grandchildren and to others. And we've had to navigate that space as just to... Okay, do we keep a distance here? Do we do a, a bump? Or it's so, been awkward, especially for mere males. You know, a nod doesn't quite do the same sort of thing. But even more so, that sense of spatial distance, that sense of geographical distance, of people who are dear to us, who are not in our immediate presence that we can't meet with face to face, who are elsewhere. And the limitations of not being able to be physically present when it means so much. You know, we're not alone, but Fiona and I certainly experienced that with the death of my mother over in Sydney at the height of the Omicron one. And having to participate in that funeral through a virtual presence. It's not the same as being there. And again, even more so with my father being on the other side of the world, being in the UK when my father died and not being able to get back still haven't been able to go and see his grave. 
It's not the same as actually being there. And we have that sense of distance is painful. So the whole idea of, of distance is something that impacts on us, not just in terms of geographically or socially, but also relationally. When there are people who are friends who we've lost contact with, maybe friends that once we're sharing a whole lot of time with that we no longer have that sense of presence with, whether it's for whatever reason we've just maybe lost contact or maybe it's some issue has emerged that's caused some distance in the relationship, whether it's members of our family, people who are um, just we're estranged from, things aren't sitting right. And it's even worse when we experience it in the sense that we may have contributed to that. Something we have said, something that we have done, something that we haven't done has caused that distancing to occur. And we wish we could go back and make it right. But we can't go back. and We have to deal with those realities, that distance. And how much more so when we know that is exactly how we relate to God, every one of us. Every one of us has not done what has been right before God. We have done things that we ought not to have done. We have been willful. We have ignored God's call on our life. We like to know that God is there, but we all tuck God in a back room somewhere at times and get on with our life and the things that we want to do until suddenly we have a bit of a problem and we rediscover that we need God in our life. Isn't it true, certainly is for me, that I use God even worse Could it be that I abuse God by using him without failing to respect and to honour and to show gratitude and to value God? That distancing is a painful distance. And it is in the midst of just that experience how wonderful these simple three words are. God with us. God is not distance. He's not holding himself at a distance and saying, well, get your act together, then you can come back. God is reaching out to us, entering into our world, our life. I don't know about you, but I find it so frustrating, not just in terms of those issues, but of inattention. You know, you walk down the street and Everyone seems to be have a head in a phone. You're looking for a bit of eye contact, a bit of greeting. Hello, I'm here. And just walk past you and talking to a phone. You know, you're at a cafe and you have people coming to join some time together. You know, I have this commitment. Take some discipline at times. Turn the phone over. Ignore it. So we can actually be there for people, be present for people. We also suffer from that in our world. How can it be that we are so preoccupied with our world that we don't value and appreciate the greater realities of this world, this creation? Do you find yourself asking that profound human question, probably the ultimate question, as we look at 
the totality of the, of the sky and the stars and the cosmos and the numbers that just do our head and we try and think about it. And we wonder, is, is there a God there? Is there a greater being? Is there someone there who has a sense of purpose and direction? Who is there for us? That This isn't just a thing that we just have happening. But there is purpose. There is life. There is value. And even more so, to know that that greater presence is not at a distance, is not inactive or inattentive, but is present for us and is present for us through the person of his son, Jesus. That is why this Christmas message is so important. God is with us not against us, not away from us, doesn't have a back turned from us, isn't holding grudges or a record of wrong, but is beckoning us, entering into our world. That is why we celebrate. That is why if we are so busy and so preoccupied with our lists and things that this wondrous truth can escape us. Let me finish with a prayer. It's from Pete Grieg, who's a, um, a wonderful um, spiritual leader, in the, especially in the realm of prayer. And this is a version of his uh, Sabbath blessing. So I'm going to finish with that, and I think I selected an uh, interlude item after that. I've forgotten what I selected, Andy, so it's going to be as much a surprise for me as it will be for you. Let me pray. May this day bring Sabbath rest to our hearts and to our homes. May my peace and perspective be renewed in the busyness of this season. May I hand be free enough from spending and acquiring to receive your gift. May a little of the wonder and magic of Christmas awaken the child within me today. And may God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into the week and into the life to come. Amen. So let's just